name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Having just heard the wedding feast of Cana, but not intending to preach on it, I still have to say a few things about it. First, when our Lord replies to his mother, the way it's translated into English sounds like there's an argument, at least a disagreement. The original doesn't necessarily bear that out. She points out that there's no wine, and his expression translated, how does your concern affect me, or what is this between us, could just as easily be an expression of agreement uh, as it is apparently to our ear, uh, one of disagreement. Now he also says, my hour has not yet come. That seems an odd expression, but we'll pick up on this as we continue to read through the Gospel of St. John. His hour is his hour of glory, his hour of, of offering himself up on the cross. That still begs the question, why is he mentioning that now? For several reasons. This is the beginning of our Lord's public ministry, this wedding feast at Cana. In fact, his miracle is what makes his life now public. It's what puts on display, not just for human beings, but even for angels, namely demons and the devil, his supernatural power. This is his first miracle, the first observable supernatural thing that he does. This makes him a marked man. And from now on, the, the forces of the world and the underworld are trying to kill him. And even as we read through the Gospel of John, the, the very same trajectory is his focus. We're only in the second chapter of John. John skips over Christmas and our Lord's infancy. It picks up immediately with the, the baptism of the Jordan and the wedding feast of Cana. And the vast majority of John's Gospel is dedicated to the time frame between our Lord's uh, last journey to Jerusalem towards his death and then his crucifixion and resurrection. It's the complete focus of John's gospel. So the, his hour not having come and his first miracle are really about the same chain of events now set in motion. But I don't want to preach about that. I want to preach about the second reading. The first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts but the same spirit. A lot of us want a spiritual gift, want specific spiritual gifts. Whether it be as young people getting ready for confirmation or as old people who, are, uh, who want to fix things by virtue of uh, God's power. Right? We want the gift of being able to share wisdom. We want the gift of being able to teach. We want the gift of being able to see the future. We want the gift sometimes of being able to remember the past, or we want the gift of forgetting the past. There's all sorts of gifts that we want, all sorts of things that we ask for. But um, gifts come at the, um, at the will of the giver. Gifts aren't requested. Then that's a vending machine, not a, not a gift giver. Listen to how the gifts are described. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God who produces all of them. To each individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit. 
Moreover, when we're given a gift by God, it's not for our specific benefit. We've, if we've been given a gift, it manifests itself by the ability to do something without even seeming to know where it came from. Uh, maybe it didn't, we don't need to practice it or it comes naturally. Some people have a natural gift for, for playing an instrument or a natural gift for, for languages. Right? Others have a natural gift for, um, for reverence or for faith or for hope or for um, cheerfulness or for, uh, for chastity, or for purity, for temperance. If we, have a, if we have a gift from God for that, we certainly can't take credit for it. We can't pat ourselves on the back and presume that this, we're able to do this because we're so uh, good or we're able to do this because we've um, earned it. Gifts aren't rewards for good behavior. If we've been given a gift by God, it is very specifically for the benefit of other people. To one is given through the Spirit the expression of wisdom, to another the expression of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another mighty deeds, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another varieties of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. It's interesting to note when he refers to the gift of tongues, being able to speak or pray in tongues, it also goes immediately hand-in-hand within the interpretation of tongues, which makes sense. Remember, the gift is given not for the benefit of the recipient, but for the benefit of others. So what good is the gift of tongues if people can't understand? The gift of tongues is given when there's also a gift given to someone else to interpret tongues. One and the same Spirit produces all of these, distributing them individually to each person as he wishes. Two thoughts arise from this. One, as we think of and observe problems at home, in church, in school, in the world, our tendency so often is to think, well, there are people who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, or there are people who who know better than this. And it sounds like the hapless coach at the end of a losing football game who just simply can't admit defeat or can't admit being outperformed, can't admit being outcoached, and just simply says something like, well, you know, we practiced well and we prepared well and we had a good game plan, we just didn't execute, right? People just didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't do what they knew what to do. And when we know that that's a lame alibi because he's up against people, opponents of far greater skill, far greater uh, intelligence, coaches of far greater preparation. Use that analogy to appreciate here how when we are facing with 
problems at home, at church, at school, in the world. Sometimes it's not the case that people simply need to execute, need to do what they're supposed to do or say what they're supposed to say. Sometimes the difference isn't human. Sometimes the difference is God sending the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit being welcomed or people accepting the gifts of the Holy Spirit or people using the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been given them. The, 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 the troubles that afflict us at home, in our families, in church, in the world, are f- far greater than simple uh, human failings. We're, we're up against the supernatural foe. And it's only the Holy Spirit that, that, that brings the, the wisdom and the strength and the courage for, for anything to get better. A second thought as we reflect on this 12th chapter of the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians has to do with individuals willing to become holy. And what's, 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 what gets in the way of that? What gets in the way of being transformed by the Holy Spirit? Seems there are two most likely culprits. One is there's the person who's grown in, in virtue and prayer and as they read sacred scripture, as they learn the lives of the saints, they recognize exactly what it means that our Lord's hour has come. He's a marked man. The world and the underworld are, have now decided to try to destroy him. And someone realizes that if they really grow in holiness, they will become marked men. And they don't want to suffer. They don't want to become so holy that the devil wants to destroy them. They don't want to become so sanctified that the world wants to crush them. And so they make some uneasy compromise. Let me be not not bad, but not so good that I attract attention. Let me make my mediocre meandering towards purgatory. But I think that's a, in the, in the aggregate, it's a small percentage of people who have made that bargain. But in general, what prevents people from being holy, from accepting the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because they think being holy is boring and bland and safe and neutered. Being holy is as varied as the fingerprints on your hand. Being holy doesn't mean you will become just uh, part of a soup and you'll just become just like anybody else. As you become holy, your personality will shine even more brightly than it ever did before. And it'll be obvious that, that sin and evil are boring and tedious. And it's actually in becoming holy and being transformed by the Holy Spirit that you come alive. Now, don't be afraid. If you have something of a, a mild temperament, doesn't mean that if you become holy, you will become the life of the party and you will all of a sudden become an extrovert. It doesn't mean that either. 
It means you will become truly you. You will become as God intended you to be. Becoming holy doesn't mean that you will all of a sudden have uh, uh, the skills that you want. You might still be bad at math. You might still not know how to draw. But you'll be filled with faith, hope, and love. In a week when we celebrate saints as different as St. Agnes tomorrow, virgin martyr, 11, 12, 13 years old, willing to stand up to Roman authority who wanted to force her into marriage. And at the end of the week, we celebrate the conversion of St. Paul, who was so skilled at killing Christians that for years, believers were afraid of him not thinking that his conversion was um, the truth until they met him. In between, we celebrate St. Francis de Sales. It's hard to imagine any singular saint apart from the apostles and evangelists who had a greater influence on more different kinds of people. Apart from Benedict and Dominic and Francis and Ignatius who, who grew huge spiritual families, St. Francis de Sales wrote the first book for the spiritual direction of lay people, Introduction to the Devout Life. Not only influenced St. Jane Francis de Chantal and the Visitations, but St. John Bosco, St. Dominic Savio, St. Catherine Labore, St. Louise de Marillac, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. It, generation after generation in country after country, continent, after continent, he, he bound souls together and influenced them in, in different religious families, different religious communities, different apostolates and walks of life. He's evidence that saints come in bunches. Where one saint already is, others are attracted. So we return back to, to the road, to our lives, to the world and all of its troubles, to Christ now that his hour has begun. And there is only one answer. It's not my greater effort. It's not just my greater determination. It is the Holy Spirit that will make the difference. And life will be worth living when we allow ourselves to be transformed. So breathe in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our thoughts may be holy. Act in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our work too may be holy. Draw our hearts, O Holy Spirit, that we love what is holy. Strengthen us, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard us then, O Holy Spirit, that we always may be holy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.